between um, the kingdom of this world, which is the broken part of this world, the physicality, and then the, the kingdom of heaven, which is the spiritual part, which is just as real um, and just as here, even as, as, um, as the physical part. We just don't notice it as much. And how it's this picture of this upside-down kingdom. The, the kingdom of heaven is an upside-down kingdom compared to how the kingdom of this world is defined. Like what success is and, and all the different things that we've already looked at so far in the first four-plus chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We spent three weeks in what we call the Beatitudes. But I want to um, remind us that, that we are kingdom people here living by kingdom power. Power for kingdom glory. That's his kingdom, people. We're down here in this broken world, but we are called to live, guys, by his power for his glory. We are, we are Christians, meaning we're little Christs. We're to be his ambassadors, his model here in this world. Like, like the, the truth is, when we are out among our unbelieving neighbors, coworkers, classmates, people in stores, or, or on social media, they will not get closer to Jesus than when they interact with you. Like, that's the reality. You might be the only Christian somebody knows. The question becomes, what are you modeling? Who are you modeling? So the first talking points question is just that. The first talking points question is, how do we be more like Jesus? How do we be more like Jesus? I'm asking. We what? Abide in him. What does that mean, Jamie, to abide in him? Okay, so to be in his word, to listen to the shepherd's voice and to meditate, to stay connected. Good. What else? Love people where they're at. Good. What else? Pray for people. Good. What else? To see them. like that, We talked about that, like seeing the people. We're going to see that over and over in the Gospel of Matthew. That Jesus always like, was he, he, the, the, the most important person in front of Jesus. And this convicts me all the time because this is not true in your pastor's life. And many of you see that as I look over you at something that I see going on in the room or something as we're talking. But Jesus, I didn't do that. The most important person in Jesus' life was the person in front of him. Like, that's just the way he was. I heard somebody else say something. Overlook offense. Part of what um, RJ led us into in that part about, like, pray for those who persecute you. Well, you're going to see that next week when we get to Matthew 5, 44. But there's just, like, are we, how do we overlook an offense? Jesus was offended every day. Not just when he went to the cross. He was rejected every day. He was offended every day. And every day he chose to forgive those offenses. Right? The only, there's only one group that he didn't choose to forgive those offenses against, and they were the religious people who didn't think they needed him. And so, um, one of the, so we, we kind of looked at what does it look like to be like Jesus. That's what the be, so it's a good way to, the Beatitudes, it's blessedness, it's this idea of fortunate. We spent three weeks on those, but guys, think of it this way. Those are the B's of how do we be like Jesus. We, we be like Jesus, how do we, here's how. We are poor in spirit. We mourn our sin. We are, like, it, it pushes us into that place of abiding when we recognize that we're bankrupt so now we need to be humble we need to be forgiving we need to um we need to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness these are all the bees now what we're going to do is we're going to start to transition into this part of matthew where jesus is really going to hit us with commands 
So, so far it's all been about him and, his, and him coming up and being baptized and led into the wilderness. It's all been about him collecting some disciples. He goes up on the mountain. Now he's teaching some truth. But that truth now is going to be very much about this. Like, like there are about 400 commands that Jesus makes in the Gospels. I mean, individual separate commands that he makes. And he's going to start hitting us with those. Um, this, is, this week is sort of a transition. He really starts to hit us with some hard ones starting next week. But guys, here, here's our tendency. When we start to hear, the, as Christians, when we start to hear the things that Jesus has commanded us to do, we leave behind the be. It's like, okay, this is, this is who I'm supposed to be, and, I, and this is how being looks. It looks like abiding, and it looks like praying, and it looks like loving each other and forgiving offense and all these other things. And then we go, now i got to go out and do stuff for Jesus, and we leave behind the being. But guys, our being flows, I mean, our doing flows from our being. Right? We talk about that here a lot. It's not behave, it's behold. Our, we, the behaving does matter. If Jesus commanded over 400 behaves, there's something about those that he cares about. But that behaving needs to flow from our beholding and not the other way around. And that's what we're really going to see um, starting today is that he's going to start to transition us into, here's how you're supposed to behave, but you've got to do it from the place of knowing who you are. Not just what, what you're supposed to do for me, but knowing who you are in me. And so with that, we're, we're talking about um, the message today is, is called Salt, Light, and Scripture. And the question I'm asking is, what does it take to see his kingdom come? Now, what does that have to do with salt, light, and Scripture? Well, I'm kind of flat, I'm fast-forwarding to Mar Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. I'm not sure when we'll get there exactly. I think in a couple of weeks. But in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he says, when they say, teach us how to pray, he says, pray this way. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. And then he says, "My kingdom, come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The question today we're looking at is, so how, if we are kingdom people meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory, how do we do that? How do we actually see his kingdom? We're here so that we would be used to usher in his kingdom. That's crazy talk to me. Like, like, to me, if you're the all-powerful God of the universe, you would, just, like, you're, you would just make your kingdom happen. And he could. He chooses to bring his kingdom through us, through people who have come to believe in the king. That's his choice. So we better figure out how he tells us to do it. And what he tells us to do in this, in this section, um, the passage that Elba just read, is to share the salt, to shine the light, and to stand, for the, and to stand in the truth of God's word. Now, guys, when he says things like, like, you are the salt and you are the light, these are what are called indicatives in the Greek. So there are two, there are two main classes of verbs in, in, in Greek language that, that, that the New Testament's written in. One are called indicatives, one are called imperatives. The imperatives are the commands we're going to really start looking at next week. The imperatives, don't be angry, that's an imperative. Right? Like, don't lust. That's an imperative. Like, th those things are things that we're supposed to, like, like, commands we're supposed to do. Indicatives are a form that just say, this is what you are. They indicate who you are. It's the being that then makes the doing happen. And, and for a long time, even in my preaching, in the first probably six or seven years of, of our time, back then we were called Cornerstone, I had, I had the whole thing reversed. I preached the imperatives and then I would, and then I would preach the, the commands. Like, guys, this is what we need to be doing as Christians. And then I would say, and oh, by the way, we need to remember who we are in Christ. That's completely backwards. 
What Jesus does is he, and what Paul does too, frankly, in his writings, is he preaches the indicatives. Here's who you are. Now, because this is who you are, this is what I'm telling you, not asking you, to go and do. And that's what I'm hoping you hear in today's message. So let's take a look at it, and we're going to look at our first point. It's our first verse. So what's it take to see his kingdom come? We need to share the salt. Look at verse, um, uh, look at verse let's see, 13 of chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it be salty, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we're going to, right away, I want to just go right to the talking points for this question. So look at your second talking points question, and then we'll come back and, and, and kind of flesh out what the passage means. What does it mean to have lost our taste? So, so this, this verse talks about how this, if, if the salt has lost its saltiness, its taste, what does that mean to have lost our saltiness? I mean, practically, what does it mean? To look no different than the world. Okay, good. To lose our fire for Jesus. To care more about the NFL than about our church. Okay, to get like whether it's the NFL or the D-backs last night. Okay, I got crushed. Um, but or or lots of other like the distractions of this world that are pulling us away all the time, the busyness of life, the, the child-centered sort of parenting family model now that has, that has a, like, a, I, I talk a lot about the de-churching of, of America. Guys, do you know where a lot of those de-churched people, you know why a lot of those de-churched people left the church? It's called youth sports. Like, it, I'm not kidding. It, I'm, it, I'm, the, the people that did this study, that, that have written this book, like, they, they spent time interviewing thousands of people, and one of the number one things was, our, our kids' activities pulled us away from the church. Like, that was, that was one of the number one things that, that, that has created this. So, so distract. What else? What else does it look like to lose our saltiness? Michelle? Not bearing any fruit. Yeah, we're going to say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Like, like we're not being anymore. We're, we're, all about, like, we're, we're all about doing, and then, we, and then we even let our doing get distracted. But, guys, I, I want, we, we need to remember. Our, our behavior does matter. Like, like morals matter to Jesus. But, but this idea of losing your saltiness has to be more than just morals. It has to be more than just what we are or aren't doing. And the reason for that is because we know that everything we do apart from Christ is a filthy rag anyway. So I can't, it, it's, I've always heard this part, you are the salt of the earth, that you are, that, that we are, abs- and, and it's absolutely true, we are to be distinctly, we're to look and act distinctly different from the world. That's absolutely true. But what we, de- what we default that to is morality. Are we living better than those people, right? Like that's really where our default heart, unfortunately, is. Where are some, what are some ways, this is, these two verses, the I, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, are probably, are pro- if they're not the two most popular verses in the Gospel of Matthew, they're two of the top ten, I bet. Most preached, even. I, I mean, I've, I have taught on this passage, and we haven't taught through Matthew before, because these are very common passages. What, how have you heard, so when you've heard a, a message, maybe, or you've read something about what, G, what, like what it meant to be, when he, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, what are some things you've heard about salt? The salt is representative of what? What's that? It enhances flavor, that is, and, and that as Christians, we are to enhance the flavor of being like Christ, of being of Jesus Christ. Okay, what else? 
preservative, that salt is a preservative, which is absolutely, guys, both of those things are true. They used salt in the time of Jesus to enhance flavor. If they had a lot of money, they had that kind of salt. The other kind of salt was more like a, um, an unrefined salt that they would use to preserve fruits. A preservation of food. They didn't have refrigerators. That was certainly a true statement. Guys, but, but I th- and so I, I'm not negating that, that teaching at all. I've taught that. I'm saying that there's, there's got to be more to it. I think if all we hear is that salt is meant to be a flavor like seasoning and a preservative, I think we're missing the context that Jesus is trying to convey to us here. Guys, here's here's what Jesus is doing. He's alluding, when he says you are the salt of the earth, he's in his audience, context. He's speaking to people that are coming in. Most of them, if they're not practicing Jews, they're, they're from a Jewish context. He's up on the mountain. He's talking to them. When they heard the word salt of the earth, here's what they would have been thinking. They would have been thinking sacrifice. And here's why that is. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 43, Ezekiel says this. You shall present them, the sacrifices, before the Lord, and the priests shall shall sprinkle salt. That's hard to say. The priests shall sprinkle salt on them and offer them as a burnt offering to the Lord. So guys, Ezekiel lived around 600 years, 550 years before Christ came. He's talking about when the temple is restored, here's how you're going to, in temple worship, you're going to salt the sacrifice. But that goes all the way back to Leviticus. It goes back to the time of Moses. Moses, to the time of ta- tabernacle and temple worship. In Leviticus chapter 2, uh, it says this, You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with God, with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all the offerings, you shall offer salt. Guys, uh, here's, here's what's going on there. The, the, the people would bring an offering to the Lord. The priests would then season it would then not preserve it, it's going, it's going to get burned up. But they would season it. It was their way of saying, this sacrifice is worthy of worship. It was, it was, the, it was the priest's way, it was, it was the human's way of saying, here is the sacrifice. The sacrifice is the animal that has been sacrificed. The, animal, the sacrifice is the grain offering that is, being, that is being given instead of eaten. What the priest would then do is as an act of sort of showing to, that it is, it is a pure sacrifice, is they would season it with salt, like real salt, not like the, the preservative salt, like the expensive stuff, and then they would offer it on the altar. Now, what does that mean for us as Christians? Guys, we We are the ones who have the message of the supreme sacrifice. When Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, he is saying you are the ones who are telling the world that the sacrifice is sufficient. You are the ones who are telling the earth that the sacrifice, they weren't putting salt on the sacrifice to purify it. They They were doing it to say the sacrifice is pure. It was their way of sort of approving of the sacrifice. And what they would have heard was, wait a minute, that's the priest's job. The priest is to take the salt for the sacrifice. And what he's saying is, no, you're the salt of the earth. You're the ones who are to, uh, who are to show the world that my sacrifice, the gospel, is supremely pure. is supremely su- sufficient. And that's, I, I feel like we're missing some of that. Now, now, even though this is a being, it's also active. Like, like the, the priests had to actively put salt on it. So what he's saying here is he's saying that you need to, this, this is something, he, he's not saying go out and, and do salting. He's saying 
be the one who just shows people that my sacrifice is sufficient. But go out and show people. Like, just like the priest had to put it on the sacrifice, I'm saying show people. So this goes back to some of the behavior stuff. He's saying show people that, that you are, that you do believe that my sacrifice was sufficient for you. Guys, I, I feel like I'm losing some of you. So turn to, turn to the right where we are to Colossians chapter 2. Turn to the right of where we are, Colossians, so it's, it's pretty far to the right. You can go past the rest of the Gospels, past Acts, past Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Then you're going to get to some little books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you get to a bunch of T's, you've gone too far, come back to Colossians. I think I said four or two, I, I meant chapter 4. So look at Colossians chapter 4 and starting in verse 2. Look at, look at, what, look at how Paul, so, this, so Colossians is written around 30 years after Christ was crucified, and Paul is now in prison and, or under house arrest, and he writes, so look at how he pulls this salt analogy forward in the way I'm describing it. He says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in thanksgiving, so there's Paul's sort of thing about pray with thanksgiving, that's a common thing for him in a lot of his letters, and then he says, at the same time, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare, now here's the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Guys, the, the gospel and the word is Paul's focus. And if you know anything about Paul's writing, that was, that was the focus of Paul's life. We've talked about that many times here. Now look at verse 4. He says, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he's saying, I want to be clear about this message of the, of, the, um, of the sufficiency of the gospel message for salvation. And then look what he says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So in verse 5, when he says make the best use of your time, if you know Paul, what does he think is the best use of our time? What? Spreading the gospel. That was the singular focus of his life, was telling people about Jesus. So making the most use of the time is clearly about telling people that Jesus is sufficient. And then he says, now in doing that, here's how, here's how you do that. You let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. Guys, we've taken that verse, like let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, and we've turned it, we've, we've dumbed it down to Speak words of life over each other. Be kind, like, speak kind words to each other. It's not less than that. We certainly should speak words of life over each other. In our homes, out of our homes. But it's more than that. It's more than just be nice. Because it's, the po it's, it's point out Jesus. In the context Paul's writing here, he's saying make the most of the time by spreading the word. Here's how you spread the word. You be the salt. Let your speech be salty. Let your speech point to the sacrifice. The sacrifice of Ezekiel. The sacrifice of Leviticus. Does that, does that sort of make sense? Is it sort of coming together? Because it's a little vague in my mind, which means it's probably really vague in yours. But guys, it really, the, the salt, when he says be the salt, it really is about are you living your life in a way that says that, that I know what the pure sacrifice is. I know it's sufficient. That's ultimately what he's asking us 
to remember. It's, it's more than just being a preservative. It's more than just um, being, a, being tasty. It's about sharing the truth of God's word So that um, and, and shining his light. So with that, go back to where we were in Matthew. I, I think I left you or in Colossians. Go back to Matthew, and let's look at our second point. Because not only does he say that we are to be the salt, we, he says we are the light. So look at verses 14 through 16. So we are to share the salt, we are to shine the light. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set high on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and hide it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all the house. Guys, the, the you there in verse 14 is what's called an emphatic you. It means you, like every one of you, singularly, you are the light. Now here's the thing, the people of, of that, that time, the people that were listening to him, they would have thought the nation of Israel was the light of the world. Why? Because it's what RJ just read in Isaiah 49. Isaiah said, I will make you a light to the nations. And what Jesus is doing is he's going, it's not the you, Israel. It's the you, the people that call me Lord and Savior. He's saying, you are the light of the world. And, and it, and it com probably completely blew their minds, honestly. Guys, Isaiah said in Isaiah 49, it was our calling passage, that you are the light of the world. But, but what did Jesus say in John chapter 8? In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And guys, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then his light is to shine through you, right? Again, turn to, if you would, just take the time, turn to, Actually, you know what? You know, it'll come up on the screen. Just don't, don't turn. We don't have time. There's, in Ephesians chapter 5, especially this time of year with Halloween coming up, there's a really well-known passage. And verse, chapter 5, verse 11 is one that it says, different versions say it's somewhat, this is how I memorized it, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but expose them. Right? Now, now what we would use that for is don't play around with evil, which is absolutely true. But what's the context of verse 11? The context of verse 11 is verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. So verses, verse 7 says, Therefore, do not become partakers with them. That's the, the world in their darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So, so that, that makes sense. That's verse 11. But look at verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What he's saying here is he's saying, guys, here's the emphasis. It is absolutely true that we're not to partake in the evil deeds of darkness. What he's saying, but, but the, the part we often miss as Christians is how. It's not just don't do those evil things. It's be the light. Be what is pure and right and lovely. Like be what is true and good. It's, it's about what you are, not about what you're not. And we focus too much, and, and here's where I, guys, here, here's part of how I get that. When, when, Paul, when Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priest, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Who has done what? What did God do for you? He's talking to the church. You, not Israel, you, the church. He's talking to you, us, anybody that's believed in the promise of God. You are a chosen race, a royal priest, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Because he has done what to you? He's called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Right now, it's, it's the, it's the, so we are, we are the light because Jesus said it, because Paul said it, because Peter says it. But it, that is about letting our light shine, not about just 
pounding on the darkness. And here's what struck me. Look at verse 16. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But guys, one, in the se- he says that you may shine, let your light shine before others. One, that's implying that you're around others. And this is not Christians. This is non-Christians. It's the same idea as the very end of the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 28. In 28 19, when Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples, the verb there really is as you're going along, as you're living your life, be about the business of discipling people. So he's saying the same thing here. He's saying, he's saying, let your light shine around other people. So you need to be around people that don't know Jesus. And here's the second, but here's the thing I really, that really hit me. The first part, in the same way, in the same way as what? What did he just say in the verse before that? The, what, what's the object he's talking about? Let your light shine. Because when you light a lamp. He says, so in the same way a lamp shines, let your light shine. So I want to show you a demonstration. So, so here's, here is a form of a lamp, right? Now here's how I think we, we often have let our light shine as Christians. Like back to the don't have anything to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Ooh, that's not probably good. Hang on. I got, I got kind of a mess of cords up here, but that's okay. So here's how we do, since I know her. So, so I start shining. I'm like, okay, where's the sin? Where is the sin? Oh, oh, there's a lot. right. Oh, do you ever clean your ears? Oh, there's, right? There's all kinds. And then I run over here and I go, oh, wait a minute. There, I don't see it, but there, I bet there's sin under here. Like I bet I, We start shining our light, going around to people going, I want to see the sin. Oh, wait a minute. Let me, let me get on your, oh, here's your, here's your Twitter feed. Let me get on here and tell you all the things that you posted that were unbiblical. And I, and it is now my personal responsibility to go around as a Christian and tell everybody what they're doing wrong as it relates to my view of what Scripture says. Guys, this has become, I mean, the, the YouTube and, and podcasts, and, I mean, it, it's full of Christians where this is their light. It is, it is a critical spirit. Now, there, are there times to contend earnestly for the faith in Jude? Absolutely. Are there places where we have to stand for truth? Absolutely. But if that defines someone's ministry, if, if the reason you're excited to listen to them is because they're really good at arguing about stuff all the time, my encouragement would be turn it off. There is so much more to the beauty of the gospel than pointing out what's wrong. When he, when, when he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness and expose them, he's saying expose them by being the light. Not by grilling people over it with the light. Guys, it, it, I don't have time for, 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 for this, but we're going to do it anyway because I brought it, so we may as well. Here's, but here's the other way we tend to, show our, to shine our light. So, God, so, so Jesus says, like a lamp, shine your light. But here's the problem, and this will lead us into our last point. Here's our problem with our light. So, we, so we're like a lamp, we're going to shine our light. But here's the problem. We've added so much stuff to the beauty that is the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the beauty of the gospel. And we've just like the Pharisees did, we've said, well, you need to, you need to, you need to believe in Jesus and also believe this about the end times and also believe this about um about about voting and also believe this about fill in the blanks and we've put so much dirt around the beauty and the simplicity that is the gospel 
when, when what Jesus is saying, so all of that is a very long-winded analogy and way of saying what Jesus is saying is he's saying in the same way. All he's saying is, it's back to where we started, just be, so there we are, I don't know if you see my little smiley face or not, but probably not. Just be, just be me. Just, like, you don't need to run around like a chicken with your head cut off. You need to be around other people. But you need to be around other people in a way that just says, here's what is good and right and beautiful about Jesus. And let him attract them to him through you. Does that make sense? That's how the gospel has always been meant to go forward. And frankly, that's how it has gone forward throughout history and is still going forward in the world today. So, with that... I don't even know where I'm supposed to be. Okay, so with, so with that, turn to your last talking points question. So I'm going to have you just turn to your neighbors and talk about this for a minute because it it's, it's, it's a timely conversation. So you're going to say, so what are some ways we can shine our light, we can let our light shine to the glory of God this holiday season, individually, as families, and as the family of God? And so I'm going to have you just, I'm going to give you two minutes I'm going to have you talk about those, just like what's a way you maybe individually could do it, what's a way your family could do it, what's a way the family of God could do it, and then I'm just going to call on a few people to share their ideas. Go. What's a way that we can, um, that individually, that we can shine our light during this holiday season? What's one way? Be available. Just be available. Like, make some space. Maybe, in, like, in my, like, for me, I was talking to a brother yesterday. It was just, like, this idea, like, I, I'm leaving no margin in my life. So because I'm leaving no margin in my life, I'm not really available as, as much as I should be for those interactions the Holy Spirit would orchestrate. What about as a family? What's some way that a family could shine their light, the light this holiday season? Be the power of example. But how? Like, wh- like in what spaces? What? Po- host. Yeah, hospitality. That's huge. Have people into your house. Huge. Operation Christmas Child. Oh, we can't. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. 
And, and, and I'll just I'll use that to go in because we're, we're, we're running out of time here. But, and, and even as the family of God. So we've got, op, like, like we've got Operation Christmas Child. We're going to have an opportunity for you guys to, um, to share with the, uh, the children in Costa Rica for Christmas. We're going to have an opportunity for you guys to share in some unique ways with for Taylor and Farron to bless people down in Mexico. Um, so there are, there are going to be other opportunities to do that. But we can also do it at our park day. Guys, inviting unbelievers to our park day on the 19th. What a great way to just allow to shine your light among them, right, to just be di- distinctly different, but un- in view of other people, so invite people there. Let them have fun with you. So there's just opportunities to just invite people into those spaces. So with that, let's look at our last point. So this is um, the last few verses, and it's hopefully going to go fairly quickly. What does it take for the kingdom of God to come? We have to share the salt. We have to shine the light. We are the salt. We are the light. And then the last thing is we have to stand in the truth. Like what Jesus wants to make this point clear because at this point his audience would have been like, man, you are, are okay, so if, wait a minute, if the nation of Israel, if, if the priests were supposed to do the salting and now you're telling us to be salt, that we're the salt, and the nation of Israel was supposed to be the light and now you're telling us we're the light, are you telling us all of this is just garbage? Like that there, like there's a whole new, the Old Testament, it's all new and he's saying, and that's why he takes this moment here and so, because he's about to hit them even harder next week for us with these other truths. And so he's, he's like, I want to show you, I am not here to tell you to, that I'm undoing anything. I'm here to tell you that I'm bringing clarity to what has already been said. So when you look at verse 17, when he says, that's what it means by standing in the truth. He says, do you think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to bring clarity to them, to show you what God always meant by them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth have passed away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. That was just his, an iota is the smallest Greek letter. Some of of your translations might say um, a jot which is just a transliteration of the word um, yod, which is the smallest Hebrew. I mean, it's like, like, like picture a, um, a um, apostrophe. That's, that's, that's a letter in Hebrew and Greek. So that, that he's just saying every little part of God's word matters. That's his way of saying that. Now look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom. So he's saying, guys... I'm not here to undo the law. He's saying, but, but here's the reality, and I say this a lot. The law conforms from without. The law changes our behavior from outside of us. But grace, the gospel, transforms us from within. He's saying, what I'm trying to do is say, there was a point to the law. And the point to the law, according to Galatians, was what? To point our need to Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, that the law is our tutor to lead us to Christ. So he's saying that, that my whole point is not, that, that, I'm, that I've come to fulfill it because what he's about to tell us is really going to be hard. And he's saying, guys, I need to let you know you can't fulfill the law, but I have. I've already done it. And now looking back, we go, well, of course he has. But this audience wouldn't have known that. So look at verse 19. I'm sorry, look at verse 20. Well, let me, the second half of verse 19, sorry. Look at the second half of verse 19. He says, but whoever does these commandments, that's the Old Testament, and, get this, teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. So how do we do the commandments? Only by the power of Christ. His imputed righteousness and his, um, 
efficacious like power working through us. His ability to make us live like the new creation his sacrifice made us. Like it's not just power to save, but it's power to sanctify. But then look what else he says. It's not just doing those things in his power. He also says teaching them. Guys, what's the mission of Cross Train Church? To teach people to teach God's truth in the context of redemptive community. Guys, our mission as a church is his mission. He's saying you should do them, and you should not only do them, but you should teach other people to do them as well. That's the mission that, he's, that he has us on. But guys, we are not, get this, he is not preaching works-based salvation. He is not saying that your salvation is um, in some way connected to your ability to do these things or to teach these things. He's saying it's an overflow of what I'm doing in your life. And we'll see that over and over in the gospel. We, in order to understand, so look at verse 20, and we'll finish it up with this. In verse 20 he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ugh, what is that about? Oh, well, it gets better. Because next week you're going to hear about how you're supposed to be perfect as your father is, is perfect. And you're like, yeah, yeah, mm, uh, right? What, what's, what in the world is he talking about? Here's, here's a couple things he's talking about, and, and we'll lay this out more as we go along in this, in this series. But guys, understand, he makes a really clear point here. He says, did you think I came to abolish the law and the prophets? Now, now the law would have been, who wrote the law? Moses, it had been the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah to them. Or the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. What he doesn't, now that was the written law. But in the time of Jesus, they also had what they called a spoken law or a Mishnah. The Mishnah was 613 extra rules that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had added to the law and the prophets. Jesus very intentionally doesn't say, Did you, do you think I came to abolish the Torah and the prophets and the Mishnah? He's saying, away with the Mishnah. When he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, he's saying, these, the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones that wrote the 613 extra rules. He, so, they, so they could all walk around going, look how holy we are. He's saying, unless you can outdo them, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. And that audience would have been like, even they can't do them. And he's going, that's exactly my point. I didn't come to abolish God's word, God's law and prophets. I did come to abolish man-made religion. Righteousness that is of your own making. Because God didn't tell them to add those 613 laws. And that's ultimately what they're spending most of their time in Jesus' time practicing guys who fulfilled the righteousness jesus did do you remember all the way back to his baptism when john the baptist says in in matthew 3 he says he says wait a minute john's like i don't want to baptize you and jesus says it must be so to fulfill all righteousness what jesus is doing from the time he enters the scene all the way to the cross is he's showing us i am the one who will fulfill righteousness so as the music team comes up and we get ready to respond in communion, I just want to share with you a couple of quotes that are going to help us kind of bring this to a close. One of them is by uh, pastor author Jared Wilson. He says this, Jesus is looking specifically for people who can't get their act together. Yeah, amen. 
After all, and I love this analogy, after all, what use is there in telling a guy in bare feet to pull himself up by his bootstraps? Our obedience is not the grounds of our relationship with Jesus, but the overflow of it. Guys, when he says you are the salt, you are the light, that is not a call. And, what you're, and, what, and stuff you're going to hear next week, this is not a call for you to, to, for you to white-knuckle yourself into some kind of religion. It is exactly the opposite. He's saying, I know your feet are bare, and I know you're walking on broken glass. I'm not telling you to pull yourself up by the bootstraps because you don't even have boots on. He, he says, I'm telling you to put on my righteousness. I'm telling you to stop trusting in some man-centered way of doing things. And, and, that, and I'm telling you to stop trying to be self-righteous and use my name, Christ's name, as an excuse for it. He's saying, just come and be the broken, naked person you are. And let me clothe you. The last quote is, he says, the impossibility of attaining that divine holiness requires us to embrace Christ, whose perfect righteousness is the sole reason for our hope. So, have you embraced Christ? Like, are, are you the salt? Are you the light? Not are you running around being salty and lit. Are you those things? Guys, if, if you have embraced Christ, he has embraced you. You are, whether you feel like it today or not. Because maybe you know you've embraced Christ, but you keep letting him go. He didn't let go of you. But you keep turning around going, man, I have not given him a whole lot of thought today. Guys, remember, the behaving is an overflow of the beholding. We can't do any of this, any of this, apart from beholding the beauty that is Christ. So let's pray to that end. Father, I do come to you right now, and I pray that as we respond to you in song and at your table, Lord, I pray that you would even use these next few moments to help us behold the beauty and the majesty and the glory that is you. That you would remind us of how we started our morning. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble and you will find rest for your souls. Lord, I'm in need of a little soul rest this morning. Not because of what's going on in the world or because of what's going on even in my relationship with you, but just because I, I keep forgetting that you're better. You're just better. You're just better in Jesus' name.